Anier Insights, we're talking about data science and its ability to be automated. One of the things that has been a topic of discussion for last couple of years is with things like automated machine learning, auto ML and auto AI, uh, are data scientists going to be out of jobs, right? Are they, you know, with the machines able to do all these increasingly complex, repetitive tasks, will the job of the data scientist go away? Uh, I have some thoughts on that, but Katie, what's your perspective on the ability for machines to make uh, this this particular career go away? I think it's like any career. I think it's like any job where there's going to be tasks that are repeatable and you know, make sense for machine learning to take over. The piece that I see not going away that you still need, you know, data science thinking behind is coming up with the hypothesis and drawing the conclusions. And I feel like those are the two pieces that a machine can't replicate. The machine can do all the other stuff. And maybe that's like, okay, great. You go do that stuff. I'm going to do that deep thinking of, really coming up with the hypothesis and then drawing the conclusions and then figure out what do we do with all this stuff. So I feel like that's true of any job, not just data science, but I feel like with data science specifically, because it is so heavy in data processing, I can see where there's concern about AI taking that. Uh, I agree with you uh, completely in that a data scientist really is four careers for the price of one, right? So there is scientific thinking, there's subject matter expertise in an industry of some kind, there is data engineering skills, and then there's uh, math and statistical skills, and I guess technically some coding skills in there too. So maybe it's five jobs for the price of one. Uh, the coding stuff, yes. There's a lot of them, and some really incredible advances recently in the ability for machines to write their own code, right? Uh, write human readable code. Uh, the GPT frameworks can do this you know, pretty spectacularly. Uh, we've seen the same true with uh, IBM Watson Studio, where uh, with the auto AI feature, you can give it a data set and it will spit back the code it wrote uh, that you can then edit. The same is true for the data engineering side. There's a lot of data engineering that honestly should be automated because it's not a great use of anybody's time. We were running uh, monthly reports this morning for our clients and you know a, a, a good chunk of the reporting process, probably 80% of it is now automated. You know, with scripts are going out and, and gathering data, processing it, running machine learning simulations and, and uh, modeling on it. But you're right. At the end of the day, all of these things are a lot like appliances, right? So you, you have fancier and fancier appliances that could cook and blend and make soup and all these things. But you still need a chef, right? You still need somebody to take all the outputs from the different components and turn it into a meal and have it be coherent, right? Nobody really wants like an ice cream falafel sandwich. I mean, uh, that, not that I know of. And, and if you, the machines don't have <laughs> supervision, that's very possibly what you might end up with. Well, and I think that it, you know, it's, if you just think about it at a very basic level, you know, unless you're living in like a Jetsons house or something from Pee Wee's Playhouse from, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you don't have those mechanical arms grabbing the eggs, cracking the eggs, putting them in the pan, turning on the stove. Like you still need human intervention to put the stuff in the blender to put the stuff 
in the oven. The oven may do the cooking, but you still need to put the chicken in the oven. And so I feel like it's the same thing with, you know, this question about, you know, the age old question, which is, you know, only a few years old, will AI take my job? <sighs> sort of, you know, it's going to take aspects of it, but then that frees you up to really focus on the human things that the AI can't and will likely never be able to do. And, you know, we've talked about in different uh, speaking engagements, you know, what AI can't do in terms of like passing judgment, form relationships, to demonstrate empathy, because those are uniquely human characteristics. And so when you think about it in terms of this, you know, what parts of data science can be automated, you know, that scientific thinking, there's some of it that can be replicated in terms of if this, then that, if this, then that, but it's so nuanced that the machine can't think about things it isn't aware of. And so new discoveries all the time, new techniques, uh, updated processes, the machine will struggle to do that without human intervention. And it will especially struggle to understand it once you get outside of its very narrow context. AI is still very narrow focused, you know, niche focused. It can do a task really, really, really well. But once you start getting into the fuzzy gray areas where tasks overlap, uh, the wheels kind of come off the bus. So real simple example, if you look at, say, anomaly detection. Uh, that's in, say, the new Google Analytics 4. Google Analytics 4 is perfectly capable of highlighting an anomaly, saying, hey, our, our forecasting shows that what's happening right now is different than what was forecast. And that's the extent of what it can do. It can't say, and I think you should do this, or, hey, I'll bet you this is because of this. We still need to provide that context for ourselves. When we see that you know, every Monday morning, uh, without fail, uh, we get anomaly detection alerts on on our Google Analytics 4 account from Google Analytics saying, hey, your traffic is up you know, 80% from the previous day. Now, we know why that is, because a newsletter goes out on Sunday. And so people coming into the office Monday morning, they read it, they click on things, and surprise, you know, we see an increase in traffic. But the software, the AI does not understand that, has no clue that that is the context. Now, if that happened on a Tuesday... Then be like, yeah, okay, we probably should figure out what's going on because you know we didn't expect that. We don't know what the context is. So, in that example, a data scientist would have a hypothesis, right? Uh, the tra extra traffic is coming from a newsletter, which is true on Mondays. Yeah. And on Tuesday, we'd be like, uh, we don't know what the, the hypothesis would be. We have to do some exploratory data analysis, which you can see in last week's live stream, um, mm -hmm. to try and figure out what happened. And so it's. You know, and this is a question I've asked you before, but do you need to be a true data scientist or can you be a marketer with, you know, uh, really good curiosity? The fundamental underpinning of being a scientist of any kind is knowing and applying the scientific method. So you can absolutely be a marketer. You can be a grade schooler. Right? And, and, and be using the scientific method and applying a scientific mindset to things. And that makes you a marketing scientist or a data scientist, whatever. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to be able to code. You do need to be able to say, I've noticed this thing. I observe this thing. 
I want to know more about this thing. I hypothesize that if this thing is happening, then this is the reason. And then you go to prove or disprove that. And you follow a rigorous, you know, uh, repeatable process to do so. That's what makes you a scientist. It's not credentials. It's not technology. It's, it's the scientific mindset that you want to be able to prove something and do so in a repeatable process that will stand up to scrutiny. So you're talking about the scientific method, which has been around for a very, very, very long time. Why is that not something an AI can just replicate? Because it requires a lot of contextual thinking. So to a hypothesis really is an if this, then that statement, right? So if traffic is up 40%, then uh, the reason is probably because of email marketing. Right. So just in that very simple statement, <clears throat> we can a machine can measure that traffic increase, but it's that explanation part, the why part that it can't do because machines don't understand anything. I was reading a paper this morning on uh, this one AI chatbot that is very popular uh, and why it seems to have a very flawed memory, right? Like you'll tell it the name of your dog and then 45 seconds later, you'll talk to about your dog and it won't know the name of your dog. And it turns out the reason why is that the architects did not build it with any kind of volatile memory. Uh, it literally is like someone with you know, a substantial head injury just having no short-term memory. <clears throat> they don't understand anything. They can see mm -hmm. patterns and they can repeat those patterns, but they don't understand what those patterns mean. And our ability to reason is what makes us the indispensable part of of these processes, our ability to have that long-term memory and to link memories up. So Katie, when you write a blog post about something, you remember what you wrote and then you can reference it later on. You can build on it. Machines cannot do that because they don't even understand what it is they're writing. Well, and I think that it's interesting uh, that you started talking about this aspect of it because I think that there's a misunderstanding with predictive text. So a lot of the home assistants like a Siri or a Google or an Alexa or you know whatever you've named it a lot of that is just predictive text and so you're not really having a conversation with this machine it hasn't suddenly become sentient and feeling and understanding and aware um, you know it's been programmed by a human to say if the person says to you this choose from these sets of responses or if the person says this go into your you know warehouse of information and pull out the answer to the thing and so that really is the limitation where we as humans you know when you know to your point like if i'm writing a blog post i might be thinking back on you know my entire life of memories and i might be like oh this one anecdote is really really useful to drive home the point that I'm trying to make but unless I give an AI my whole body of memories of my whole life they're not going to be able to replicate that I mean I may not even be aware of what memories I have until any given moment like oh that's right I forgot about that thing until right now and so how can I program AI to know what I know when half the time I don't even know what I know and it's even worse than that in some ways because everything that machines do when it comes to 
prediction is essentially looking for probability. What's, what's the probability that the next word in my sentence is going to be X? What's the probability that the next location I'm going to search for in Google Maps is X? And try to route uh, inquiries that way and, and build these probabilities. <clears throat> That's fine if you know what it is that you've been doing, right? If you, if you are, have a hypothesis that is identical to or very close to previous hypotheses, if you have something net new, that's never been seen before. Again, all this stuff goes off the rails because now you're dealing with the unexpected and the machine doesn't know what to model. So it's going to choose things that it thinks are most closely resemble it, but are not in fact actually what's happening. So if you picked up your coffee right now and it tasted like ketchup, right? You would be like, okay, what the heck just happened? <laughs> it does not taste like ketchup for the record. Um, you would know as a human, okay, something's gone wrong here. Let me try and figure out what. A machine would, be, would immediately start saying, okay, well, if this is ketchup, what are the other things that are similar to ketchup? And, you know, and, and, and give you a list of probabilities of how that might have happened. Um, but it could just be, oh, you, know, you were not awake when you were making a coffee. You grabbed the wrong thing in the refrigerator. You grabbed ketchup instead of creamer. The, the machines, again, because they don't understand anything, cannot make that hypothesis. They can't, they just, it's just outside of their scope. And there's a great danger in, in artificial intelligence and machine learning where if we are relying so heavily on these existing trained models of things that have happened in the past, that we constrain our own creativity because we're relying on things that have already been seen and we are, in fact, after something that has not been seen before. When you think about content marketing and blogging and social media marketing and stuff, we are constantly trying to create new things, things that have never been seen before, because that's unique, original content. Mm -hmm. And so AI is actually kind of a hindrance in that, because we're not creating it. If we're using that as our generative method, we're, we're not creating that. So you know, going back to the original question, is you know, AI going to put data science out of, out of business? No, because part of science is exploration of what's new. And you can't explore what's new by solely looking in the rearview mirror. Right. You know, it makes me think about, you know, the legal profession is a really good example of this. And so like when, you know, a court case comes up, so let's just say, for example, I decided to break into your house and steal all your stuff. And then, you know, I get arrested, I go to court. The legal system is likely going to reference a bunch of other cases similar to mine as a precedent of like, here's a case that's very similar to what Katie did and here's what happened and here was the outcome. So we're going to use this as the basis to suggest, but a good majority of the time they are unprecedented cases. And so they can't rely on what they did historically to determine what they want to do in this present moment. And I see AI as a very similar situation in that sense of, yeah, it can look at the historical things of what's happened, as you said, Chris, but it's never going to be an exact one-to-one. -one. And so you can't, you can use that as a guideline, but you can't necessarily say, and so replicate it exactly because there are no two identical situations. And then I think the, you know, the notion of creativity is a big one. Because that's a question that's coming up a lot is with all of these systems that can write content for you, you know, 
am I as a freelancer, as a writer, as, you know, a content editor, am I going to be out of a job? Well, yeah, if you're okay with really crappy content, if you're okay with content that has already been written, if you're looking to churn out just like a million words that have no real value, then sure, AI can do that for you. But if you want to, Chris, to your point, have something unique and thoughtful and adds value and hasn't necessarily been done before because you, as an individual, bring your own unique perspective to something, then no, AI will not take that. Exactly. And the same is true in data science. If you are someone who is only doing analysis, which is looking at what happened, and you're not doing any hypothesis creation, then A, you're not a data scientist, and B, um, you're doing analysis. And that is a task that can be left to machines uh, for a good chunk of the what happened part because you're not doing anything new. You're, you are literally just processing data that's already been there. Now, the insights part, where you're trying to explain why, that right. part is going to be very difficult to replace. Because, again, machines don't understand, don't have the extra data context of understanding why that pattern showed up in the data. They only know that the pattern was there. So what is more likely to happen is the, the many junior roles that sit underneath a data scientist, like a data anal an analyst, like a, a data engineer or uh, things like that, those roles may shrink as, as a lot of their tasks. Like, okay, do uh, some PCA on this data set. Do um, just some uh, histograms to understand the, the shape of the data set and stuff. Yes, those are tasks that 100% machines are already doing. On, on last week's live stream, we got a chance to watch uh, the piece of software inside of our studio, summarize a data set and show outliers and, and the histograms and the shape of the data set. I didn't need a data analyst to do all that. The machine just did it for me. And I, as the data scientist, go look at it and go, okay, yes, this passes the sniff test for data we can use, or no, this doesn't. So I think in the short term, the data scientist career is perfectly safe. I have concerns in the long term because... As we automate more and more of those tasks, one of the risks we run is by having fewer of those jobs, uh, our pipeline of qualified people who eventually go from analyst to, you know, to, to senior analyst to data scientist, that pipeline shrinks because mm -hmm. there's fewer people at the, you know, at the bottom doing all the grunt work. And so there's fewer people who will bubble up to the top uh, eventually over, you know, over the span of years or decades. And, I think that's a real risk because one of the challenges we already have in machine learning is you have a bunch of people who are writing code and building models who don't have the formal academic background or the, you know, the years in the trenches of dealing with you know, weird data situations. And so they're building models that are, in some cases, very biased, in some cases, um, very flawed, and they don't have the experience to know, I just built something that's dangerous. And mm -hmm. again, if we don't have people in the trenches manually doing this stuff, at least for a little while, then they never know what to look for. They never know what to, to fact check their models and go, wow, you know what? I know that, that, that this result here is clearly the result of a, a skewed data set going in. And let's, let's not proceed. I think that's, there's a real risk there. It, you know, I'm... Without going too far down, like, uh, 
related but sort of off-topic road. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting about sort of when you talk about this is those different job levels. So you talk about the lowest paid person doing the grunt work. This is where I don't necessarily agree with you um, because I think that that's, that structure in a company is what leads to people being dissatisfied and leaving. So there's obviously a level of you need to learn the job. So there's certain tasks that you need to do and master before you move up. But I feel like what happens when you box people in like that to say, well, you're the junior person, so you do all the grunt work. It doesn't allow that person to share their perspective and their thoughts and their ideas. And I feel like that's the piece that's missing. And that's the piece that would allow people to stay in those jobs and to continue to develop that critical thinking, to continue to develop that exploratory. We, as a society, tend to box people in and say, okay, you're the junior person, you do the grunt work. I don't want to hear from you because you're not experienced enough. But from my perspective, you're a human, you have the human experience. Right or wrong, your perspective is going to be beneficial to us to learn. And I feel like that's going to be one of the key pieces to making sure that that pipeline does stay, you know, rich with diversity and people who are interested and people who are growing that experience is not just boxing them into, okay, you're the analyst, you can only ever look at the data, I don't want to hear from you about your perspective. I think that we need to teach people these jobs and simultaneously treat them as if they were already thought leaders in the space and just say, tell me what you think. What do you see? What do you know? What have you learned? And it's that, again, it's that human experience, that perspective that's going to keep people engaged in that particular role. And uh, there's definitely importance to that. I think where the, the challenge will be is that in, say, a large organization, you might have 100 data analysts today. As you automate a lot of those tasks, you're going to be down to, you know, 15 of them. And so, and, and those 15 people, instead of still doing that same amount of work, will kind of be overseeing the machines. Kind of what we've always said in, in our various keynotes and things, that uh, you're not going to be the first violin anymore. Now you're going to be the conductor of the orchestra. So even as a junior person, you may be overseeing, you know, some of the, the tools and technology. And in that process, you're not going, you're, you may not learn the importance of what you're doing. So a, a real simple example, if you are the, the, the junior most person on the line and your job is just to slice carrots, right? And you bring in a food processor uh, and you know, the other person just puts the carrots in the general direction of it and you, you get the same sliced carrots. If you don't understand the, you know, why it is that you're doing that, um, and how it's how it does fit into the the bigger picture, then you lose that context of here's why the carrots have to be this thin. Um, and to your point, that fits well with the idea of a person not being boxed into a single task role, right? Single task roles are on the endangered list. If your job is a single task, your job is in danger. Um, mm -hmm. And you absolutely should be teaching people, yeah, we're slicing carrots like this because we need to make a shepherd's pie that's not four and a half feet tall. Um, <laughs> nobody wants to eat a, a piece of pie this large. Um, and I think, there's, I think there's a path towards having some of that training and, and learning. Um, but I do think that something is lost when you're, at least not for a little while, chopping those carrots by hand to understand you know, 
why do you chop them this way out of bias and not just straight on? Well, there's, there's is a, a reason for that. And in a, a place of good employee, someone will explain that to you. Now, in a place that's badly managed, you'll be told to shut up and just slice the carrots. And I agree with you. That was the point that I was making was, yes, it's fine to teach people why they have to slice carrots a certain way, but teach them. Don't just say, do it, and don't ask questions, and we don't want to hear from you. You're the junior most person, which quite honestly, when I was the quote-unquote junior most person on the team, I hated being reminded that I was the junior most person on the team because it is it shouldn't be time and seat. It should be experience. And I feel like that, you know, again, this is sort of going a little bit off topic, but I think the point is, AI is going to take a lot of those repetitive things, but you still need to teach them and give the context as to why you want to teach AI to do the things a certain way. So if the eventual goal is to have the machine slicing the carrots, that's fine. But understanding the history as to why we slice the carrots by hand and, you know, the history of how, you know, sharp objects came about, how they started as blunt objects and farming and agriculture, all of that context is just going to make for a richer experience when it gets to AI, because then you'll have all of that information to give it. Then you as the person, as the human, will be able to do more with that output and tell a greater story around the thing that you're presenting. Now, here's, here's a curveball for you then. Sure. In that example, the company that leans heavily into AI is probably going to have a fair number of people who are like, yeah, I don't have to worry about you know, telling you to shut up and do your job because now the machine does it for you. So they will probably be the more incurious types who are like, yeah, I have a machine, so I don't have to tell the junior person to shut up now. I don't, I don't have a junior person anymore. I just have the machine to do it. Um, and so that brings up an entirely different conversation about you know, what a corporate culture looks like in the age of AI and, and, and machine learning. But kind of bringing back to the original topic, you know, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence will make the, the carrot chopping process a lot easier. But mm -hmm. you still need a chef. You still need a recipe. You still need somebody who has the good judgment to say, you know what? Um, this time of year, this, the, the particular carrot that we use is not in season, so we're going to switch it out with something different. Uh, and knowing that that will work and not saying, oh, yeah, you know, we can totally replace that with apples. It'll be exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> and it, may, it may very well not be. And those aspects are unlikely to be replaced by machine learning, at least not until machines start developing that sentience that you talked about, which is still a bit of a ways off, although there are some announcements this past week and coming up in the next couple of weeks about uh, quantum machine learning that have everyone kind of scratching their heads going, I didn't think machines could do that. Um, so stay tuned for, for, for those announcements. We'll have them probably the week of May 10th. Uh, may cover them on the podcast or on our live stream. I think at least for me, and this is one person's opinion, just one, you know, one out of how many billions of people I don't, feel like AI will be able to replace that storytelling aspect of it. That, you know, let me give you the history that's passed down through generation to generation. Let's sit around, you know, outside of a bonfire and tell stories. I think that's the experience that as technology gets more advanced, as AI is doing more things, we as humans, myself, are craving 
that connection from person to person to say, okay, then let's tell stories. Let's understand it deeper instead. Let me hear your perspective on this thing. And then the AI can just go crunch the numbers and, you know, come up with the predictions and do whatever. I think that that human experience of what we have control over versus the machines is only going to grow deeper and richer. That's my one, again, one person's perspective. I think that storytelling piece about here's why we did it. Here's the history of the thing. Here's what we plan to do with it. And sort of here's sort of the point of all of it. That is still going to be human. I think in forward thinking organizations, that will be the case. I think for organizations that are a little more regressive in their culture, um, still having that very central command and control, you don't get to talk to the person two levels above you because you're not, you're not authorized to. I, I don't think that that will be the case in those organizations. And time will tell to see which ones survive in the marketplace you know, longer. Certainly, the, the current and the past and current uh, generations of data scientists and stuff like that and organizational cultures still lean very heavily towards the command and control. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, it really depends on the kind of business that you're in and whether or not that has a place. But if you're in, you know, a marketing company or, you know, really anything to do with consumers and travel and leisure and goods and B2C and that kind of thing, there's really no place for it. Again, one person's opinion. I, and I've mentioned this numerous times, I have never subscribed to the, you can only talk to people at your pay grade, at your level. I find that whole thing to be bullshit. I find it to be, you know, putting up silos where silos don't need to exist. I find it a hindrance to getting work done. And I find it quite honestly, just really insulting. It's a very archaic leftover way of thinking of how a business should be structured. And I'm not saying that it needs to be a free for all. Anyone can do everything like, you know, obviously there has to be some structure in place, but restricting who you can talk to based on your title is crap. And that's my two cents on that. And yet that's exactly how AI functions today because it is so narrowly focused on specific tasks and cannot communicate that mm -hmm. in some ways we have replicated our human culture in the way the machines address their problems. So uh, good luck on solving that. Well, and then we see that the AI gets it wrong a lot of times and the whole, you know, bias and ethics. That's again, a whole other topic. Like as we, the humans who are the ones programming the machines, we are so flawed. We're so screwed. <laughs> Bottom line. Uh, so I guess to wrap up, <laughs> So your job is safe for now. <laughs> yes. If, if you are a data scientist, your job is safe for now. The tasks look forward to more and more automation of the individual tasks to make your life easier, frankly, uh, and to get more done faster. Um, you know, I would like to think that we're a pretty good example of being able to, to do a lot of stuff um, with, with a very, very small number of people and, and punch very, very far above our weight when it comes to, to using data science and AI together to accomplish stuff uh, for customers. If you've got comments or questions or things that you've, you've experienced in using uh, artificial intelligence to automate parts of your data analysis or, or uh, data science, let us know. Join our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers. 
where you and over 2,300 other folks are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever it is that you watch or listen to this episode of the podcast, if there's a place you'd rather have it on, probably we have it. Go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast for all the other platform choices. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.